0: Well, I'm excited this morning. I mean, those testimonies pumped me up. Do they pump you up? Yes. You know, and it just fits in with how we've been starting each session in this series on being free and responsible. And it's that truth, right? I'm going to put it up on the screen. Let's all say these words together. We are not normal. We do not fit in. We are not the same as everybody else. We are not average. And isn't that amazing? The reason we're not normal, the reason we don't fit in, the reason that we're not the same as everybody else, and the reason that we're not average is that we are sons and daughters of the God Most High. We've made Jesus Christ our Lord. You know, we are different. As uh, statistics I've been sharing, and just to source my statistic, the statistic on 3% of the Canadian population being conservative, born-again Christian, comes from Promise Keepers Canada. You know, I can't verify their research, but that's where I got that statistic from. The statistic that currently 55% of the people in Canada would consider themselves Christian, only 3% are actually born-again, but 55% would say that that's from Statistics Canada. And so we've got these interesting things that us as being part of that 3% that have made Jesus our Lord, that say we're born-again believers in Jesus, we're submitted to Jesus, we've given our life to Jesus, and we live by a different standard in different ways, puts us in the minority, you know? And that minority is a minority that is backed by the power of the God of the universe. That minority gives us the power to be able to declare things the way Priyank came and shared, and the way, you know, to be able to, to bring healing to the sick, that, my, that minority status also says that the world is not going to accept us. Our priorities are different than the world. You know, how you live compared to 97% of the people around you is completely different. Completely different. And if it's not, then you're probably actually not following what the Bible says. You know, and it's this hard reality that if we want... Jesus said, look, you can't have the world and have me. We can't have the world and we can't have the kingdom as well we need to be transformed from the things of the world and live for the kingdom. Now, now, we're in this world, but we're not of this world. So our priorities are different, our everything about us is different, but we're still in the world because we are salt and light to this world. And I was working out the statistics, you know, if just here at LifeHouse, there's about 200 adults here, you know, in the room this morning, looking at empty seats, there's probably just under 200 adults in the room today. we using the number 200, okay? I gave us this stat a few weeks ago that if all 3% of those born-again Christians in Canada every year made a disciple of Jesus, they led someone into a relationship with Jesus, taught them how to follow Jesus, and, then that, and taught that person how to make disciples of others, it would only take five years for the entire nation of Canada to be Christian if we, if we took that seriously. But I'm not talking to all 3%. I'm talking to 200 people here this morning. So I ran the stats on that for us. And, you know, it will take us, if we were the only people, and we're not. We're not the only born-again Christians. We're not the only people discipling people in the city. But if we were, it would only take us, it would take us 12 years to reach all of Mississauga and 15 years to reach all of the GTA, add another two years to reach everything from Niagara Falls through to Whitby and Ajax for Jesus. That's it. And that may seem long, but really that's like in our in, in lifetime point of view, that's in a generation. This entire region, the most populous area of Canada, could all be discipled for Jesus just because 200 people in here said, I'm committed to making one disciple a year and teaching them how to disciple others. Think about that. When I talk about us being world changers, there's a reality. You can change the world if you'll take seriously what it says in Scripture. Because Jesus said, all authority in heaven has been given, you know, given to me. Now go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. That's what he's told us. That's the, the one thing that's guaranteed that is the purpose of your life, do I need a different mic or just different batteries? Awesome. They're getting me some batteries. I'll stop scratching in a moment. The, uh, you know, the one thing that's guaranteed... It's completely guaranteed. If you're like, "What's the purpose of my life?" Your purpose is to make disciples. There's actually really outside of that, everything else is secondary. You know, everything else is secondary in terms of your life purpose. We'll just go to commercial break for a moment. Noel, thank you. Our sound guys are awesome. They do such an incredible job, eh? Thank you so much. But, you know, if we don't understand the gospel, if we don't actually know the true, simple truth of what Jesus has done for us, we can't disciple anybody. And the sad statistic is that the majority of Christians in the West will die having never discipled one person. And we wonder why the world is in the state that it is. Why? Because we won't obey what God says. This, this very one primary command that Jesus gave us as, to, as followers of Jesus, you know, it's the simple thing, it's not about us. We're not here on this earth for us to have a great life. We're here on this earth to, to live, surrender to God, so as many people as possible, will be able to enjoy heaven along with us. And you know what? Our final destination isn't even heaven. It's the new heaven and a new earth. Whole other story. But the point is, we're, we're, we're are here to help people come into an eternal relationship with Jesus. That is the point of your life as a Christian. It is the one only primary reason you exist on this earth. And that's amazing. Because it, it focuses us. It takes us out from the, what should I do? What should I do with my life? Go make a disciple. In the, when, when, you get, when you go and do that, let God fill in the blanks of what else you should do with your life. But nowhere does it say, well, we should wait for, you know, once we've got this much knowledge, this much education, this much this, this much that. The gospel in and of itself is incredibly simple, you know? And we're going to be building on that today. So this principle, this core value of us at LifeHouse is that we are free and responsible. So we are free. Our freedom comes because of the blood of Jesus, what he did at the cross, what we sang about this morning, what we've testified to, what he's doing. Jesus did it. Our freedom can come from nothing else except what Jesus did. That's the simplicity of the gospel. We need Jesus. We needed him to be the perfect sacrifice. We could not earn our place in heaven. We could not put ourselves right with God. We couldn't do it by the law. We couldn't do it in our own strength, our own ability. We needed Jesus. And what Jesus did once and for all, he conquered sin and death as we say here in explaining it, Christ died to set us free from sin, death, fear, shame in order to establish us in freedom so that we can live and love as God's glorious children. You know, he did it. It means that nothing you do can add to what Jesus has done for you and nothing you do can subtract it from what Jesus has done for you. It's not up to you. Amazing. Free. So when you mess up, we're not, you don't live under guilt and shame. You live under repentance. Guilt and shame is, I'm a terrible person. I can't believe I did this. What's wrong with me? Repentance is, oh, my goodness, my flesh is gaining some power here. I need to kill that and live as the, in the identity that I have as a new creation in Christ. Right? Totally different. You're not proud of your sin? You know, moving out from under guilt and shame is not a thing of going, oh, that means I'm proud of my sin. No, no, no. It means I'm not going to be sitting there dwelling, self-centered, self-focused. Oh, how terrible am I? We go, oh, wow, that's my old nature trying to pop up. Die. Die. I repent. I can't live like that. God, I'm a new creation in you. Give me the power by your grace to put that aside and walk fresh and anew. Yeah? That's what it is. That's what it is. God's p- grace, what he did, it gives us freedom. It is the power. You know, we talk about the power or the authority Priyank talked about to be able to make a claim on, on no, you know, this, this thing is going to be settled in my favor. I'm going to exercise spiritual authority. This thing will be exercised in my favor. And the same power talked about by Shirley in bringing healing to cancer. You know, and healing that she's experienced in her own life. She can testify to this about family members because she's received healing for cancer. And the there's the, that power that we see in those supernatural ways, but there's the supernatural power that says there's no reason or excuse to continue to live in sin. Now, you may... You know, in my own journey, there's many things I've had to wrestle through and wrestle with and change my thinking on and, and go to God and like, God, you've really got to change my thinking because this thing seems to trap me and I need to break free from it. Some things are a bit of a struggle because they're a stronghold in my mind, but the only reason they're a struggle is because we believe they are. There is no power in heaven or on earth that is greater than Jesus Christ. There is no power. There is no sin in your life that is more powerful than Jesus. And the great thing is, it's not more powerful, that sin is not more powerful to take you out of heaven. It can't rob what Jesus has done for you. And it's not more powerful to keep you in bondage to it. You need to believe you're free. And need to start putting things in place to walk in freedom. And so if things trip you up, If TV trips you up, if music trips you up, if a certain friendship trips you up, if a certain relationship trips you up, cut it off. Get rid of it. Get rid of whatever it is that's in the way of you walking in freedom. Whatever it is. So that you will walk free. Because you're not meant to be in bondage. Romans 8, 1-2. We did this scripture last week. I'm going to do it again. Oh man, I could preach for like an hour and a half on this, so I've got to try to keep it tight. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. It is for freedom's sake that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery Something has gone significantly wrong here, but that's okay. We'll be able to make that work. That was Galatians 5. It's for freedom's sake that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourself again be burdened by a yoke of slavery. I covered this last week. I'm going to say it again. There is a straight and narrow path of Jesus. Both the book of Romans and the book of Galatians are dealing with heresy that was going on in the church. And there was, here's what was happening. In the book of Galatians, there was people that had come in and this group of Gentiles, they were all Gentile believers in, the, in, in Galatia, where Paul went in and established this church. And what happened is people came in and started telling them that if you really want to be a Christian, you need to follow Jewish law and Jewish traditions. You're not really saved unless you follow these different things. The entire book of Galatians is Paul's argument against these people that were telling them they needed to to follow the law. He also, in Galatians 5, not only deals with this issue of not following the law and the ceremonies and, that, and the traditions, that we're not under the Torah, that we're not under Jewish law anymore, but that, it's, that that can't save us, it can do nothing for us, it's only Jesus. He's also saying, hey, you also can't go to your old ways and live by the flesh, Right? If you, you know, it's pretty obvious. If you're living by the flesh, the behavior you're going to have is obvious. It's not freedom. It doesn't bring freedom. It just leads to death the same way as following the law does. So he's comparing these two heresies and saying, look, you can't live self centered and you can't try to, to, you know, gain your salvation by obedience. These are so important, you know, for us as believers because we complicate it when we start putting ourselves under Old Testament traditions and laws and think that somehow that makes us more spiritual. Nothing, you know, and then it also complicates it when we keep living if by the world assuming that doing that is okay because, hey, I've got freedom and grace in Jesus. You know, the straight and narrow is, hey, I live a self-controlled life. You know, if you follow something of the Old Testament, hey, go for it. If you're Jewish... And you still follow traditions? Well, the book of Romans actually is amazing because the book of Romans, here's what was going on. In the book of Romans, Paul's writing because there's this church that has both Jewish converts to Christianity and Gentile converts to Christianity. The Jewish converts to Christianity had actually just been expelled. They'd been kicked out. They had just come back into Rome at the time that he's writing it because one of the Roman emperors had kicked all the Jews out of Rome you know, including those that had given their life to Jesus. But now they've come back, and this church is trying to work this stuff out. And he's very clearly, his entire argument in, Rome, in, the, in the first half of Romans, up to Romans 8, is that you cannot be saved by observing the law. That you cannot. It, you, the observing the law does nothing to add to your salvation. You cannot be saved by observing the law. You know, he, and goes on to the fact that there's no condemnation for us in Christ Jesus. It's, we all need, both Jew and Gentile, the same, need Jesus. The law doesn't save us, you know, and and it can't do it. And our old, you know, in that case, pagan Roman traditions can't save us. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. But he also then, in the second half of Romans, where he talks about our freedom, then goes and says, but you know what? For you guys living together, for those of you that were Jewish, that you know, and that are, want to keep your traditions, you still want to have special holy days, i.e., the Sabbath, if you are, you know, on a particular day. He says for, in, in Romans, it goes, Hey, if, if some of you keep a, a certain day of the week as holy, and some of you don't regard any day of the week as holy, you're both right. You're both right. For those of you that it's your tradition, you know, because you're Jewish and that's your heritage and you go, hey, we're going to keep the Sabbath holy. Go for it. Do it unto the Lord. Do it with conviction. Do it that way. But don't think that by doing that, it makes you any better than the people that don't. Because it's just your tradition you're following and you're doing it onto the Lord. If he says, if some of you eat certain foods and some of you don't eat certain foods, awesome. Go for it. But don't think that by abstaining from certain foods, you are better than those that eat them or more holy than those that eat them. And this comes down to the crux of the one thing, the only thing that equalizes us is Jesus Christ. So, you know, it's, it's this thing in the church where there can, there's all these weird teachings out there on different things. There's nothing wrong. If you want to f- go and follow Jewish festivals, and if you want to do those things, you want to follow those practices, go for it, but don't live in any belief that you are a bo- um, following something more than anybody else in this room. You know, because you're not. You're actually, and, and the difficulty that was always going on, is tension, it's like, well, actually, if you really want to be spiritual, you should follow our ways. And he's like, your ways are useless, your ways are useless, go ahead and follow them, it's all about Jesus. If you want to do it for tradition's sake, go for it, but they're not, it's not going to add a single thing to your, to your spiritual walk, it's not going to add a single thing to what God's doing, and if you start telling other people they need to do it, actually, you're in heresy. You know, And he actually, he says to people the, one, the Jewish believers that were suggesting to the non-Jewish believers they needed to follow certain practices, he goes and says, one of them was circumcision, and says, I wish you would go and cut everything off. Cut off your family jewels. Go the whole way. I mean, pretty intense, right? Intense language that he uses. But the thing that we learn from this, we're not in Rome, we're not there. The thing we learn from this, you can go, I said this last week, and I'm going to keep emphasizing this, because you can go on the internet and hear any teaching you want to hear, and you can learn all these different things, right? And, you know, you pretty much, every false teacher you want to hear, every variation in between, and if you don't know the Bible, then you will be led astray all over the place. You've got to know Scripture, We've got to know Jesus because the gospel itself is so simple. It's so simple. It's that you. there's nothing else that can save you but Jesus. And because he has, you are free from everything. And adding a bunch of different practices and traditions isn't going to make you more free. It's not going to make you more free. It could even put you in bondage. Be careful. Don't put anything. Don't let anything get above Jesus. Nothing. Nothing. Right? so it's, it's so key for us as Christians. Otherwise, we do exactly what it says here in Romans 5.1, where we put ourselves under a yoke of slavery again, and we don't live in freedom, and then we don't make disciples. And we don't have the results that we should see in Scripture. Why? Because we, instead of knowing Jesus, we're relying on traditions, we're relying on our own effort, our own things, and actually we're living, as opposed to in humility, we're living in arrogance and pride. Freedom is very personal. It is not self-centered. We have been given freedom so we may present ourselves to the Lord as a willing sacrifice, surrendered and ready to serve Him. Back to the book of Galatians, Galatians 5, 13 to 14, it says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Your freedom is not for you. You've been made new in Christ. That has been for you, right? You're like, I'm free. And it's like, yes, I'm a child of God. I have a new identity in Jesus. You are amazing, Say, I am amazing. And you are in Christ. In Christ, you are amazing. But we got to be so careful. We don't let that truth, the fact that we are royalty, that we're a royal priesthood, that we're brothers and sisters of Jesus, that we've been set free, get to our heads and make us arrogant. Otherwise, we're going to fall into the same sin as Satan that got him kicked out of heaven. And that is pride. 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 Probably one of the things in our culture, self-centeredness and pride, is one of the things we have got to guard against and guard against and guard against, because it's what our culture thrives on. It's what 97 percent of the population lives for themselves, themselves. We are free. And our freedom is there so that we can serve one another. Our freedom we have. The freedom we have in Christ. The freedom we have is freedom from sin. It's freedom from bondage. It's not freedom the way that the world talks about freedom where it's like, oh, I can do whatever I want. Actually, our freedom makes us bond servants to Jesus. It says, my will is not mine anymore. I've been set free from the bonds of sin. I've been set free from the chains of death. I've been given a new life in Christ. I now serve him as my king. That is Christianity. It's the only one that is that is christianity that your life is not your own so if you still want your life outside of jesus you're going to waste your time going to church you're going to waste your time it'll just be a useless tradition and you knock on the door of heaven one day and jesus goes i don't know you he says that those that know me are the ones that do the will of my father right and we should tremble at that we should be like man i need to do a real heart check is jesus my lord because he needs to be our Lord. Because it's not about us. It's about this broken world. It's about his kingdom. It's about his kingdom being established here in this world. And we serve. If he is our king, then we understand that it's not about us. It's all about him. And of course, we humbly serve one another in love. Then it says in verse 14, For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping one command, Love your neighbor as yourself. Romans 12, 1 to 2, again, says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Romans 14, 7-9, it says, For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. So whatever we, whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this reason, Christ died and returned to life, so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. We take for granted the concept of heaven... And the new heaven and new earth. I don't know if you understand that up to 500 years before Jesus came to the earth, Jewish believers did not believe in heaven or hell. They had no concept of it. The closest concept they have was Sheol, which was a place of darkness that everyone went to. Righteous and unrighteous. It was only... In the period of 500 years before Jesus was born to the 70 years after Jesus was born, that there was debate and a possibility of that they started to get their head around the idea of resurrection of the dead. And only it was there was t- three, there were three main groups at the time of Jesus: the Essenes, who we are fortunate enough to have the Dead Sea Scrolls because of, because they hid out in the desert and they separated themselves from society. You don't hear about them in the Bible because they were hiding in the desert. The, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And, man, when my memory fails me. Lee, you're wonderful. Which one, for, which one? The Pharisees did. Yes. So the Pharisees believed in the resurrection of the dead. And the reason they believed in the resurrection of, of the dead is because they believed both in the Torah and an oral tradition. The Sadducees didn't believe in oral tradition, they only believed in the written word, and so for them, it's not written down, so there can't be any resurrection of the dead, because it doesn't say it in the Torah. So understand how radical what Jesus taught was. Hey, this life that you're living, this is not the end. This is just the beginning, and you're going to have eternity, we take eternity for granted because we understand that it's there and it exists. The first hearers of Jesus didn't know if it was real or not. They didn't know if there was heaven. They didn't know if there really would be a new earth. And Jesus came talking about it, him declaring there was going to be resurrection of the dead. He was going to be the firstborn of the, res- of the dead being resurrected. It was radical teaching. When these disciples went out into the world, the hope they brought the world was radical. It was radical, the hope they were bringing, the hope they were carrying to people. The freedom that we talk about is not the freedom so I say the freedom the world presents is not the freedom the Bible talks about for us as Christians. For us as Christians, we're bond servants to Jesus. We, surrend- we always have free will. But a bond servant is someone that is a servant by choice. So we go, "I do have the freedom to choose not to follow Jesus, but I'm using that freedom to choose, to make Him my Lord, to say His priorities are the priorities of my life, and I live for him and I no longer live for myself." That is Christianity. That's Christianity. So I'm going to wrap up with a little story, and I'm going to do it very quickly because it's already 12 o'clock. So someone, someone sent Lee a chapter of a or a front a page out of a book, and Lee sent it to me, and it's an incredible story. So I'm going to tell you the story really briefly, you know, and it's a, st- a story of these missionaries that, according to the book, were called the one-way missionaries, and they, and according to the book they would pack their belongings in a coffin because they knew that where they were going, they would likely die and never come back. And this group apparently existed, according to the book, around the the turn of the century, the early, like, 1900s. And it told the story of one of... This book told the story of one of these missionaries whose name was um, A.W.M.I.L.N.E., Milne, a Scottish guy. And saying that he went, according to this book, he went to the New Hebrides Islands. He left Scotland, went to the New Hebrides Islands to reach a tribe of headhunters and knew that all those that had gone before him had been killed by them and that he likely wouldn't return and that he spent 35 years with them. And then when he finally passed away, they wrote on his, his tombstone that be, when you first came, there was only darkness, but when, when you left, there was only light. Powerful story. Incredibly emotional one. Just not true. I'm sharing this with you. To go back to my thing of fact-checking. I fact-checked it. Now, there's 10 pages on the internet repeating this story. Blog posts, well-known people, unwell-known people. You know, page after page after page after page talking about them. But you can't find anything except the repeating of this book. And when I found archives about this person, there's only partial truth to the story. The truth is, it wasn't A.W. Milne, it was his father, Peter, that went to these islands. And traveling in that time from Scotland to New Hebrides Islands, which is down by Australia, likely knew he wasn't going back. And he and his wife, they went and they worked with this tribe of headhunters. Didn't say anything about them killing everyone beforehand. There was actually someone else that had already been there and started establishing a work. This guy went to help support the work that was going on there. And they, he spent 50 years there. He died at 90 years of age. and. When he was getting older, his son, who was A.W. Milne, took over the work, and he worked with people there, you know, until his father passed away. And another ten years after his father passed away, until he was killed—not by a headhunter wanting his head, but by one of the people, the, one of the people from the tribe that was mentally ill and murdered him. Now, the facts don't change. The power of the story that these people laid their life down for Jesus to go and give, they gave everything. I mean, this, this young man, A.W. Milne, was born there. His parents went, they gave up everything, left their family, and they, he was born in this place. And he served these people till he died. But facts are important. Us, otherwise, we just repeat, you know, things we've heard on the internet, heard someone say, blog posts are the worst place for you to get your information. Honestly, because they're just a repeat. You know, we talk about fake news. Here's fake news. Here's an author, a published author that takes a story. I actually got his book to see, does he cite it? No, he doesn't cite it. He doesn't say where the story comes from. So he takes it and then preacher after preacher, blogger after blogger, repeating the story because they read the book. Well, it's in a book. It must be true. Scripture has got to be our dividing line of what is true. We should follow the example of that story in the book and the nice emotional reaction it gives us to go. We need to lay our lives down so that the GTA knows Jesus. We've got to take seriously the call of God on every single one of our lives to make disciples of the nations. It will be uncomfortable. You will be persecuted for it. You unlikely in this culture will be killed for it, but it may cost you a promotion. It may interfere on your time. It may, you know, be inconvenient, but that's your call because you're a bondservant of Jesus and that's what he's asked you to do. That's what he's called each and every one of us to do. And that call that I'm saying, should the same emotional reaction you get when I talk about the fact that you're there to, you know, that this guy went and gave up his life and knew he wasn't coming back, that same emotional reaction you should get with joy when you're like, oh, my job is to make disciples, you know? It should be a joy and a privilege that we get to tell people about Jesus, that we get to make disciples of Jesus. It should be a joy and a privilege for us. An absolute joy and privilege. So when you like, man, I've got to get up in the morning to read the Bible and to study it. And don't just read it. I said there's one other thing. I was in a church environment before when incredible damage was done because the leaders of that church believed they didn't need to read commentaries. They didn't need to reference other authors. They were just going to directly hear from the Holy Spirit themselves, and that would be all they needed. And they destroyed a group of people because they had no context, they had no understanding of what it was, so they made Scripture say whatever they felt it should say at that time. And so an environment went from a grace-filled, loving environment that with all this hope to a controlling, you know, everyone is under the curses of Deuteronomy, and, and if you sin, you're going to hell immediately, because they had no ability to put Scripture in context. They just would read something and go, well, this must be what it is. So, we've got to be an educated people. We've got to put the time in to read the Bible, but to study the Bible. You know, to understand, you know, the difference of New Testament and Old Testament, the covenant. To understand not just the letter, not just read the words, but, you know, have a study Bible where we can actually read about what it is, you know, like, what was the context of this letter, what was Paul writing about? Why was it written? What are all these different things? So that we can ground Scripture in context. We've got to be an educated people. You know, we have no excuse. We are a society that has more information available to us, more knowledge at our disposal than any society in the history of the, of, of the world we are and it's at our fingertips you can go on the internet and use reputable sites and reputable tools and if you want to know there's some that're cheap really cheap like 5 bucks a month and you can get access to some incredible material that'll help you give you everything you need to study and make disciples but if we don't use it if we don't develop wisdom then we'll die not having impacted the society at all not having been the world changers that we're meant to be. Not, you know, if we decide to live self-centered lives as opposed to living as bond servants of Christ, we may get to heaven, but everything we built will burn up behind us. That's what scripture tells us. You know, and and I know this is a weighty word and I'm going to wrap up right now. I know it's weighty, but we have a responsibility that it's not about us it's about Jesus. It's about reaching the lost. It's about living for him. You know, it's a, and living for him doesn't mean you need to be in full-time ministry. Very few are called to full-time ministry. Living for him means doing your job incredibly well, setting an example and a reputation so the people around you go, man, there is something radically different about that person. They're filled with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. They're the hardest working person in the room. Look at this person. I want to be around them. They change the environment here. There's something they have that I don't have. Yeah? That's a disciple of Jesus. The gospel, not just the Bible, the gospel. It is a double-edged sword that separates bone from marrow. The gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ. What Jesus has done for it. It separates truth from error. it It brings radical truth into our lives. Know the gospel. Know the hope to which you've been called, the joy that we, that we live from, so that you can be filled with the Spirit and the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control, so that you will change this world. It's what we're all here to do. You're awesome people, more than capable. You have everything you need, and I know, I, I tell you, you can do it. God's anointed you for it. You are ready. Go and make disciples of the nations. Amen? Adam. Adam. Let's do it. Guy, um, again, I just want to point out if you're new, come to a newcomer's lunch. That's going to be great. If 12.30 today downstairs, uh, speak to myself or James or Synette, Um If you want prayer, if anything that has happened today or anything that you feel like God is telling you or anything that's happened in your week and you want prayer about, support. We would love to pray for you and support you. Please come and see our ministry team. They are great. Um, if you have children don't forget to go and get them quickly please bless our children's leaders in that Um, if you are not new i'd encourage you to make a new friend and uh, follow us on social media and have a great week be blessed jesus loves you you are beautiful thank you